trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm talking with Reverend Dr. Susan K. Williams-Smith. Reverend Dr. Smith is an ordained minister, musician, writer, and activist living in Columbus, Ohio. She has written for the Washington Post and Huffington Post, as well as her blog, Candid Observations. She currently serves as one of the tri-chairs for the Ohio Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. She also serves as national scribe for the African American Ministers Leadership Council, as communications consultant for the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, and is the founder of Crazy Faith Ministries. She is a graduate of Occidental College and Yale Divinity School, and earned a doctorate of ministry from United Theological Seminary. She has written many books, Crazy Faith, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives, Rest for the Justice-Seeking Soul, and most recently, With Liberty and Justice for Some, The Bible, the Constitution, and Racism in America. (sighs) Reverend Smith, I see you speaking, leading out at rallies for social justice throughout Columbus, and I attended an incredible Freedom Choir concert at the Summit United Methodist Church on the OSU campus at your direction. It's so good to have you here on Grassroot Ohio. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I would like you to share with our listeners, what was your path to becoming a minister? Um, it was circuitous. Um, I was a journalist, actually. And before that, I, you know, when I started college, I was going to be a doctor, but I, I realized I had to study too much because science is interesting and fascinating to me, but it's not my gift. And so um, I was studying so much and I thought, mm, maybe this is not what I want to do. So then I, I switched to English literature and then went into um, journalism in Baltimore, um, Maryland, in Texas, in Port Arthur, Texas, in Houston, Texas. Um, but um, I had been very uh, moved and touched uh, following my mother's death for a long time. She died in 1969. But, you know, when you lose someone like that, it it, it takes you through a, a journey. And while I was in Baltimore, um, I started attending Bethel AME Church, and it was led by a an amazing and powerful preacher, uh, Bishop John Richard Bryant, who was also an activist. And um, and lifted up, you know, the story and the struggle and the victories of African Americans and tied it all in with the scriptures and the music was slamming. And I mean, it was just like, oh. Um, and so I accepted a call to preach um, while I was in Baltimore, not without some kicking and screaming, because back then there were not very many women in the ministry. And the ones that were in the ministry kind of did not appeal to me. Um, and I thought that you had to. Uh, fit into some kind of mold, which I couldn't and didn't and can't. Uh, you know, I always say I'm not holy. I believe in God, but I, you know, I, I'm not holy. Like some people come off as really holy. I'm just so full of crap. And so um, I needed to, you know, separate myself and, and realize that everybody is called to be him or herself. And once I came to terms with that, I, you know, answered the call and then went to uh, seminary. But it was not something that I wanted to do, especially when I knew that I was really feeling called. I was not impressed 
I was actually very annoyed. I was annoyed because it just didn't seem like, you know, what do you do with that? You know, I just didn't, but that's how I got here. So in Columbus, you have a, a ministry, Crazy Faith. Yes. Ministry. Tell us about about that. Is it a located at a certain church or is it just in name and it's everywhere? Tell us well, a little bit about it. You know, here in Columbus, we have been worshiping at Summit, but we also take our worship services out. And actually, we're in a period of time where we're going to revamp some stuff because, you know, like Carolyn, what I really believe is that church is not a place that you go to, but church is something you do. Um, and I think that, you know, the brick, the pandemic has done a lot in terms for people who are really stuck to the brick and mortar model. Um, they've gone into a frenzy, but we have taken our, our model out. We take our worship out, homeless shelters. And this is something I never thought I would do because I'm, I'm kind of sedity, but I'm, you know, go out places and um, because the respectable model of ministry is, you know, in a, in a church building. And so um, we go to where people are in need and we talk to people who are in need. And we also don't have any, um, any superficial, I call them superficial boundaries. So for example, a couple of years ago, it was Ash Wednesday. So <laughs> we were going around um, on the streets in Columbus and asking homeless people, yes, primarily, do you want to receive ashes? And half of them didn't know what it was, but you know what? They appreciated being talked to and approached and all that. So um, I find that kind of stuff very satisfying. And some of the conversations that you get into because nobody talks to the homeless. They, you know, look at them and turn away. Um, and they're geniuses that are out on the streets. I mean, I met a man um, during that Ash Wednesday thing who was um, who had been one of the original mathematicians for for the NASA space program. NASA space program. He was brilliant, but he was homeless. And so we also, you know, took palms out a couple of years ago to the homeless and people, again, some people broke down in tears because I guess they had been rejected by their families for whatever reason, because people are homeless for different reasons. And, um, you know, they said, I haven't had a palm since my grandmama, you know, I mean, it was just heartbreaking while it was fulfilling. Um, and it gave a palm to to one guy and he grinned and he got it. And then he, he followed me because I was, we were going up and down the streets. He said, what's this for again? And so it turns out he was a Muslim. He had never, but when I told him the story, you know, it's a way for me to make the scriptures kind of come to life. When I told him the story, he just said, Oh, I didn't know that. And that I think is behind everything that we do and that I do because I think there is so much that people don't know. You know, like you just said, you watched the, the, the documentary on the black church and you learned a lot. I think that when people know better, they do better. I think that when people don't know, it's easy to set up these superficial um, barriers between each other. But when people begin to know stuff about each other as individuals or as cultures, things change. And so that's primarily what, what my, I, I finally realized that's what my call is. You know, my ministerial call is to get people to understand or to even be curious about things that they don't know. And if I can do that, or if we can do that as, as Crazy Faith, if we can do that as the Freedom Choir, then I feel like that's what I'm called to do. It took me a long time to define that, though. So what is, what's with the name Crazy Faith? 
Well, it's because, again, I say I'm not holy, but I would read the stories in the Bible and, and I would crack up. I think that they, some of them are, some of them are, are brutal, brutal. I mean, they're sexist yeah. and they're misogynist and all this kind of stuff, but some of them are funny. I mean, uh, just amazing. Um, the one that got me kind of going was Moses in the, in the Red Sea. It's really the Sea of Reeds, but the Red Sea. And I had this, I was reading the story one day and I just had this image of Moses standing there and I call it a stick, holding a stick out over the water. He's on the shore of this, you know, the, the Sea of Reeds and he's holding the stick out. And I imagined and with my holy imagination as Otis Moses III says, I, I imagine people coming and looking at him. What, what are you doing? He says, I'm holding a stick out over the water. God's gonna, God's gonna, God's gonna part the seas. And I can see people who have been like his his buddies, you know, his support team saying, Oh, he's had it. Something is wrong. And I can see, I mean, I could see the people standing around looking at what has gone into him. And then I can see him continuing to stand there to hold that stick out over the water. And then the and then the water's finally parting. And then I imagine the conversation of the people once that happened, wondering who's going to go across first, because it says that they went across on dry land, but you've got these two pillars of, of water, like Cecil B. DeMille could do, make it so these two pillars. Of, who's going through that first? And I can just, so it was a funny story to me, but it also, it also, told me about what that type of faith can accomplish because you know what you can't do anything if you don't have faith slash confidence you cannot do it um, and some people who are agnostic or atheist would, would not maybe not use the word faith they would say confidence but I believe that they're one and the same in, in many many ways and so what I did was I just pulled stories out of there and 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 intertwined them with stuff that I have seen and experienced because I wanted people to know that they really can. We are really capable of doing much more than we have been told that we can do. We are more of the cannot people, many of us, than the can people. And a lot of that is because of the way we were raised and the things we were told and you'll never be anything or you're just like your dad or uh, you know all of that stuff that we grow up with and it, and it damages our minds. And so I wanted people to read that book and understand, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can do more than they thought you could. All of us can. And that's how I came to write that book. It's actually one of my favorites. Well, in my mind, it reminds me of the of an artistic vision mm. of seeing something that's possible, but nobody else sees it. Right. And it's almost like you do have to put the stick out and the fates or gods or whatever it is oftentimes do open up the path right. um, for the vision to happen. And, and many, many Bible stories have that, have that connection for me. I have that connection with, with the, the spiritual story. It's like, you know, you've got to leap out. You've got to step out you do. to make the change. Yeah. And you can't be afraid of failing. If we go back to the Moses story, you know, I, I thought, well, could I have stood there with the stick? And we don't know how many days he stood there. That's the thing. The Bible leaves so many good things out. You know, was it one day? I don't think so. Was it two weeks? But he stood there with that stick. And it was the something in him. There's something that works inside when we have faith and confidence. And it pushes it out into the universe. And it comes back to us. So it's like a wave. We push it out. And then it comes back. And, and, and that's what holding the stick or believing in something that nobody else believes in, that's what happens. You push it out and you just stay there. You're steadfast and immovable because you 
because you can't even let it go. You can't let it go because it becomes part of your very spirit. And then when it comes back, things begin to happen and doors open. And sometimes it takes a long time. People will give up, you know, because they believed in something and they've wanted something for a very long time and it doesn't happen immediately. People will give up. And, And that's the thing about having faith or confidence. You cannot give up. You must be steadfast. Well, or you can shift. Yeah, I mean, embrace what, and then then shift. I'm curious right now. The we're really dealing with Black Lives Matters and with Columbus Police and violence and um, white supremacy in your ministry and your justice ministry. How are you dealing with this? Um, I pause because I am so angry at what's going on. Um, I am resentful of the fact that the the and I hate all this, 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 you know, Republican Democrat stuff. It's kind of like that was so set up to do it exactly what it's doing. But I am angry at the people who stormed the Capitol or supporters of the people who stormed the Capitol now trying to blame it on Black Lives Matter. I am really, really angry. There is so much difference between the protests. Uh, for Black Lives Movement and whatever the heck that was that went on in the Capitol building. For Black Lives Matter, this is a fight that Black people have had, and not just Black people on Carolyn. Women, you know, LGBTQ, people with disabilities, this world, this country was set up as a, a by white people for white people. That's just a fact. And people resent that other ethnic groups or gender groups are getting ahead and having rights. People resent that. Um, but as concerns Black Lives Matter, yeah, when there's Black Lives Matter movement, there, there when there are movements, when there are protests, sometimes there is violence. And yes, people do attack property in their own neighborhoods. They do that. Yeah, they do that. Um, and there's all types of stuff, all types of studies that talk about why they why that happens. But the majority of the protests are peaceful, and those protests are a cry for this country and its government and its police force to listen, to hear, and to feel the pain of people whose people get keep getting butchered by police officers over and over and over again, and nobody paying attention to it or nobody caring. So. And this is a 400 year journey we've been on. And so for this false equivalency to be done, I am very, very angry about it. But I know that, uh, and, and we see of course the disparity you know, in the justice, we see why we say black lives matter because black lives never have. You have all these white folks who did what they did to the Capitol building, many to most of them have not been arrested, a couple hundred with all those thousands. They have gotten away with it like they normally do. Um, they have been released to their parents. They've been allowed to go on, on, on vacation. And we all know, I don't care what race you are, everybody knows that if that had been a group of African-Americans or Hispanics or Muslims, first of all, they would not have gotten within a hair's breadth of the Capitol. They say they didn't know anything. That's a bunch of crock. Everybody knew about it. And those uh, police officers and National Guard and whomever else they had to call would have met them at the barriers, which would have been a mile away from the Capitol building. So we see this with our own eyes. And it is painful. Do you understand what I'm saying? That these movements, when we go out into the streets, it is because we are angry and we are respecting the country that does not respect us. Those people were disrespecting the country, which has respect at them and given them rights. And so 
Um, that's the that's the that's the um, the basis or the impetus or the inspiration for why I do what I do. I need for somebody to listen and to help us change. And it's and it's so systemic. Four hundred years of this stuff. You know, the policing, as we know, it started. Um, you know, when people were brought here and they were enslaved and people were deputized to go out and find the ones who had gotten away. And, you know, then later on, it was they were criminalized so that they could have some type of justification for uh, arresting them and, and stuff. And then, you know, the mass incarceration, which came much later, but before the mass incarceration, there were the lynchings and the beatings and all the kind of stuff. We are so tired of that. And we are tired um on a spiritual level, you cannot breathe as a as a as a social justice uh, as a social justice activist when you are in the room with the family or the mother of a person uh, of a person who has been shot, unarmed person shot by police, who then who who then the, the the offending officer gets off is no indictment. You have not heard a wail. Uh, Carolyn, until you hear that wail, it is blood curdling. So these parents, these mothers who have lost their children, they've lost that, but they've also lost what America is supposed to be about with liberty and justice for all. There is no liberty, there is no justice. And that wail, the sound of that wail, the wails that I've heard and the wails that come from history that I didn't hear, that's what drives me. It, 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 if, if there could be, and, you know, and I know that um, many white people, many white people, think that like diversity is, is like an effort at white genocide. You know, where does that come from? So they don't want um, people to have equal rights. But before that word was even in their minds, they didn't want, they wanted to use the labor because this has been a capitalistic society and if they could use what they could use and they did, that's all they wanted because their goal was profit. Their goal was profit, not equality. And so, um, that's what drives me. It's just aggravating. And the more it's, 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 that's not the right word. It's more than aggravating. It's painful. And it, um, and, and none of us know, you know, from one day to the next, who's going to be next, who is going to be next and who's going to have to stand up because see here, the thing is black people have stood up in spite of it all. I, I find myself thinking that most white people couldn't live an hour the way black people live, not an hour. Uh, we have stood up. We've had our children separated from us. We talk about the kids in cages. And of course, that is just awful, but it's part of what America does. But they were doing that with African-Americans way back when, tearing babies out of their mother's arms so people didn't see their parents for the rest of their lives. Come on. And in spite of that, in spite of having, if you can imagine this, having had your baby torn out of your arms, or maybe your six-year-old pulled away from you, you as a mother are hearing their cries, but then you have the overseer and the master who's going to make you work. Can you imagine, Carolyn, having to work in the fields with that type of grief and pain? And yet we did. Um, so that's why we're here. They've tried to wipe us out and they have not been able to do it. That's what drives me. It is wrong. It is morally wrong. It is it is spiritually wrong. It is just wrong. And white people need to own it. And if you, you know, so many um, white people say, well, I'm not a racist. It's not about calling you a racist as an individual. We're talking about a system. I already know, we already know that the white people with whom we interact never own slaves. We get that, duh. We get that. But the society which has been built around the privilege of some at the expense of others, that's something that we have to own. 
we have to own it. White people don't want to do it. And it's like, so I tell my white friends, I can't, I'm not talking to your people. You talk to your people. They don't want to listen to us. They have to hear that you've made a transformation, that something has happened in your level of consciousness. They got to hear it from you. They're not going to listen to it from me. They will. Some will. I hear you though. I agree. I think we all have our part to tell what we've learned. And, but the people that will listen to me will learn more from you, <laughs> from your experience and what you're working on. This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio. And today I'm talking with Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. Um, she's a writer, she's a musician, she's an activist, she's a reverend. I realize that you are working with um, the Poor People's Campaign. Right. And Dr. William Barber. Can you tell us about your work with with the Poor People's Campaign? I'm glad you brought that up because I was one of the tri-tiers. I'm not any longer, but um, I do work peripherally with the Poor People's Campaign because poverty um, kills societies. Yeah. Let me just uh, more people are poor than we want to think about. Uh, something in the pandemic has made it worse. Um, people are used to making the, the impoverished person uh, like a crime, like poverty is a crime. Um, so they get marginalized and and pushed aside. And we're talking about primarily women, but it's you know women of all colors. They I just heard today that the the, the minimum wage in 2007 was five dollars and fifteen cents um, an hour, and and this at our at our minimum wage now people make about thirty five thousand dollars a year. You can't do anything with thirty five thousand dollars a year. You know what I wish. I wish, I just wish that we could make every single Congress person and senator have to live on the minimum wage for about six months. Make that one of the requirements. You can't run for office until you get to know the hearts and the spirits of the people that are depending on you. We already know that you know how to be wealthy. Let's let you see what it's like to be poor. Let's see you have to make painful decisions about whether you're going to buy the, the medicine for your child who has juvenile diabetes or feed them. How can America, you know, talk about this American exceptionalism. How in the world can a country call itself exceptional when it lets so many people suffer? The Congress now is debating the, 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 the CARES Act, you know, so we can help all of the people who have been affected by uh, the pandemic. And they said that many Republicans don't want it. It's too expensive. Well, you know what? You didn't say that when they passed that stupid tax cut thing that benefited you. You're more wealthy now than you ever were. That wasn't uh, too expensive, and it was terribly expensive. But now when it comes to helping people who are down and out, who many people blame, the, the, the myth is, is that in this country, if you're poor, it's your own fault. That is crap. That's a that's crap. That's a crock. And many of the essential workers, you know, they were saying that essential workers are important. Yeah, they are to keep rich people rich, but they're also expendable. It's like a different type of plantation. When you're on the plantation, if you die, they pick you up, they throw you in a grave and get somebody else to replace you. And so these people who are doing the necessary work, working in the restaurants, you know, that we like to go to, doing all of this stuff that we need, if they're they're necessary for the profit makers, but they are expendable. They are expendable. So if you don't show up for work, you can lose that little piece of job. If you show up for work and you get sick, half of them don't have health care. That's why I do work with the poor. That's what the poor people, poor people's campaign is about. But poverty is a moral issue. You can't understand it until you have to live it. Live it. Live it. Don't have access to all your big buddies that have all this money. Live it. 
see what it's like to, I mean, and, and I'm not saying that people who have money don't have, you know, fits and starts of emotional angst about money, but it's different when you are lying in bed at night and you don't know um, if when you wake up in the morning, is, if that's the day you're going to be evicted, you don't know what it's like to have to put your children in the car. It, it, it's just an awful thing for a, a, a modern country to have to say happens. If it's happening in a third world country, we want to get all self-righteous. I can't stand to hear people talk about now, you know, worried about human rights. Damn it. Worry about human rights in this country. Worry about it here first, because if we can fix it here, then we can go someplace else. This false morality that we have, that's why I work with, that's why I do what I do. It just, it just doesn't make sense. We have a couple minutes. I, I want to ask you three questions. First is, what are you most concerned about right now as far as your issue? Two, what are you most grateful for? And third, what gives you hope? But first one, what is what are you most concerned about today? Today, I am most concerned about all of the efforts that the Republicans are doing all over the country to further suppress the right of people to vote. The big lie has caused and it's going to continue to be spread that this election was not real. It was rigged that Joe Biden is, excuse me, that he stole the presidency. That's a big lie. And many of those who are saying it know that it's a big lie. But um, the fact that they're going to push this lie and, 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 and cause the people who are already angry to be more angry, that really bothers me. And these voter suppression laws, this increase in voter suppression laws, I think we have to fight it now. I mean, we can't or, you know, afford to wait. We have to get in there and get underneath their skin. We have to do whatever we can in order to stop that. There has always been a backlash when Black people have gotten too much power. That's what they don't like. But we have to fight it. We don't have a moment to um, to rest. And I'm and I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the former president. I like that uh, President Biden called him the former guy. That's that's a good way for me to refer to him. But that he's going to speak at CPAC on Sunday. He's going to continue to rile up these 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 wealthy white men who have no spine, Carolyn. They have no spine. And so he's going to rile them up. I don't know what type of violence that we're going to see. And all these people on um, people in power, mostly white and rich, talk about they don't like violence. Well, that's a crock because they're supporting this violence. They're being silent about it. They're not willing to say what happened um, at the Capitol was really white terrorism or, you know, white supremacy. Um, so I'm concerned. Um, Reverend Susan, what is CPAC? CPAC is a conservative um, it's, it's a, I don't know, let me think for a second, but it's a conservative group that meets once a year. So that's okay. a, it's a group of, of, of Republican senators. I, I can get the exact, uh, what you call it in a minute. Okay. But, but quickly, now we have one minute left. What are you most grateful and what are you most hopeful about? I'm grateful for the fact that the election <laughs> turned out the way it did because, um, I think the nation can breathe easier. I think the nation was held in animated, um, agony. Um, for the past four years. Um, it was just, I think people have um, all types of health problems now that they didn't have before. So I'm just grateful for that. And then hope. I had a very interesting conversation yesterday with some people 30 who, seconds. who do work with, uh, with COVID. And they said, if we do more teaching about how to build our immune systems, we can fight COVID. And that gave me hope. All right. How can people reach out to you? They can reach us at Crazy Faith. 2019 
at gmail.com. That's our email address. That's probably the best way. And then we have a phone number, 614-245-5411. And we have a Facebook page. So those three, those three venues are the way that they can get to us easily. All right. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for joining us on Grassroot Ohio. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, we will now air on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.